0: From the McCourtney Institute for Democracy on the campus of Penn State University, I'm Michael Berkman.
1: I'm Candace Watts-Smith. I'm Jenna Spinelli, and welcome to Democracy Works. This week, we are talking about marijuana legalization. And our guests are Dan Mallinson, who is an assistant professor of public policy and administration at Penn State Harrisburg, and Lee Hanna, who's an associate professor of political science at Wright State University. They're both Penn State alums. They received their PhDs in political science here at Dear Old State. And they've been studying and thinking about marijuana policy for the past couple of years now. And, you know, this is a, a topic that's been on my list of potential episodes for a while now. But there's there's a couple of things that have happened, particularly since the election that I think make it very timely and, and very topical to be talking about right now.
2: So there have been even since the election, a number of things that have happened. And I really like thinking about this topic. Um, it's one of the topics that my students like to write a lot about. And so between them and Dan and Lee, I think that this topic is really important because it hits a lot of the issues on the Democracy Works bingo card. You know, it highlights um, the role of citizen-led initiatives. It highlights the gap between what people want and what policymakers are willing to do, the complexity of federalism. I'm sure I'm, you know, state laboratories. I don't know. What else, Michael?
0: (laughs) So much that we've talked about at other times, you know, thinking about how legislatures kind of get in the way Mm -hmm. of public opinion and what the public would like to do. And so some of the uh, differences with direct democracy and indirect democracy, But also, it really is an interesting federalism issue, isn't it, Candace? I Mm -hmm. mean, on the one hand, you have some states just moving in the opposite direction of where the federal government has been, which creates a kind of odd compound republic situation. And you also see states both in competition with one another around around marijuana policy and also learning from one another.
2: Yeah, I think I I should also like to note that it's it's going to be both kind of th- this this policy is also highlighting where the united states stands in the kind of larger global scheme too so um canada has legalized marijuana and mexico is thinking about doing it and you know, most Americans are okay with it, but we see right a lag among our our policymakers, and so yeah, um, mm-hmm. you know, Maybe. we'll we'll see we'll see how it plays out, right?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, Dan and Dan and Leah lay it lay it out, but just to kind of give our listeners an idea of what we're talking about here, in lots of states, uh, medical marijuana is legal, and uh, more and more states now recreational marijuana use is legal. But at the uh, federal level, it is still uh, entirely illegal. Uh, and because of that, the uh, cannabis industry at the state level is really constrained. I mean, not only is there always the possibility of arrest mm-hmm. for violating federal crimes while you're not violating state crimes, but it means that there are restrictions on how involved they can be with the banking industry.
2: It's a cash business, right? Because. Yeah. The money can't be protected by FDIC. You know, everyone is kind of talking out of two sides of their mouth, too, as well, right? Because on the one hand, people want to tax it and make revenue, but then you don't necessarily want to insure it because it's illegal at the federal level. The other thing I think is worth noting is that when marijuana policies hit the ballot, it tends to win.
0: It is. It's like one of those common ground issues that I think you and I talked about Mm -hmm. the last time we met. Uh, That just seems to have a a large amount of support in the public. And so when they're put on the ballot in direct democracy, they're generally going to pass. And actually, as I remember it, all of the initial marijuana legalization bills, certainly the early medical marijuana ones like in California, did pass through the initiative or referendum. And or through some sort of direct democracy technique. And that's why we saw it so much broadly in the West. Then we it took, mm-hmm. it took much longer to catch up.
2: Yeah, I mean, again, I think the framing. I th- another reason why I think this policy is really helpful to think about in terms of democracy is because the framing matters. So, you know, if people are talking about veterans and PTSD, children with epilepsy, that might influence people to think about it differently. I think it might also, right, given uh, that, you know, a good number of college kids in frat houses are using marijuana and who, you know, what parents want their kids to be criminalized um, (laughs) under these policies,
1: bringing it back around to to democracy uh, and and some of the ways that the issues are being framed as a good segue into the interview we do talk about framing issues, we talk about laboratories of democracy, federalism, all of those things, so let's get to the interview with Lee Hanna and Dan Mallinson Dan and Lee, welcome to Democracy Works, thank you so much for joining us
3: Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: So uh, I'm excited to talk with the two of you today about marijuana policy. I know it's an issue you've been studying for the past several years now. We've certainly seen lots of changes as states continue to pass both medical and uh, recreational uh, legalization. And you know, before we we dive into some of the specifics, I, I thought it might be helpful just to get a broad. Lay of the land uh, about kind of where things stand, particularly because there have been so many states passing these measures over over the past couple of years. So, uh, Lee, why don't why don't you kick us off? You know, how many states um, have have legalized marijuana either for recreational or uh, medicinal purposes, and what have have some of those trends been over the past couple of years?
3: Sure. So we have 35 states and the District of Columbia that now have medical marijuana programs. And these date back to 1996. California was the the first state to adopt. And we essentially see this trend with medical marijuana adoptions where you have um, early on, legislators don't really want to touch the issue. Um, And so we see states with both more liberal populations, as well as access to the ballot initiative that can, um, that can essentially move ahead of the legislature and pass these policies. And so of the first five laws that were passed, uh, four of those were through the, the ballot initiative. Um, and so that, that trend um, you know, kind of continues uh, on through the Bush administration that uh, you kind of see a slowing of, um, of adoptions. And then, really, since since Obama, we've kind of seen this this uptick that really didn't stop um, in the Trump administration. And if I had a map in front of the, the the listeners, what they would see is that early on, it's kind of the the likely suspects. It's you know deep blue states, it's uh, western states, states that either have kind of a, a libertarian or a liberal um, bent to them. Um, and then, as you start to see during Obama and um, the Trump administrations the policies move into more conservative states, uh, places like Arkansas and Oklahoma and the Dakotas. And um, so that's kind of the trend line in medical marijuana policies. If you look at recreational, uh, you start back in 2012. And again, it's the ballot initiative that has um, really facilitated the expansion of of recreational policies. And from 2012 now to uh, here in 2020, we now have 15 states that have Recreational, so the adoptions are coming a bit faster. Um, it's kind of a steeper curve if you look at you know kind of a, a plot of these on a um, you know on an on an adoption plot, and um, and what we're seeing is that for the most part the with one exception, every state that is adopting recreational already has a medical. Policy in place, which which kind of makes sense that they would um, would start there and then build off of that infrastructure that's already in place.
1: So, Dan, uh, you know, as as Lee was just saying, uh, many many of these 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 laws have been passed through the ballot initiative process can you talk a little bit about how how the, that process plays out with this issue in particular like what types of, of groups are involved who's getting the ball rolling you know what what does does that look like in terms of of, of organizing this issue on on the ground in these states
4: sort of think of these as grassroots uh, efforts right where citizens can, Develop a law that that they want to see, and, and and put it get enough signatures from other citizens to get it placed on the ballot, um, and then that allows their fellow citizens to vote on it uh, and potentially vote it into law. What we see though with ballot initiatives is it tends to be more uh, complex than that, and there are uh, large interest or interest groups uh, as well as industry involved um, in developing the initiatives and. Uh, in funding the, the signature gathering campaigns which require you know a lot of resources to get uh, in some cases several hundred thousand signatures to get um, a bill on the on the ballot. So you do see pretty large involvement from interest groups like the Marijuana Policy Project and normal uh, who've been working in this space for quite some time. But there are also local you know on the ground activists that are, also helping to coordinate these efforts. Um, But increasingly over time, too, as as the legal marijuana market has developed and has matured, you do increasingly see influence from the marijuana industry in the shaping of these um, ballot initiatives and in trying to shape what the specific details of the marijuana laws look like.
1: What arguments or or what framing are these groups using as they're they're crafting the language for for the the ballot initiative itself and and, and perhaps more importantly, building support for
3: it? You know, Dan was talking about these interest groups that have been so vital to the to the efforts to get these these bills passed. Um, But beyond just your kind of marijuana specific interest groups like Marijuana Policy Project and Americans for Safe Access and some others, uh, you also have. Uh, groups that are representing veterans, um, groups that are representing families that, that have kind of formed these support groups and, and lobbying groups uh, that that are dealing with like um, epilepsy and you know children you know dealing with with that. You're you're seeing uh, you know more discussion about kind of broader harm reduction, um, whether that's related to the opioid epidemic or you know um, uh, mass criminalization, um, mass imprisonment. Uh, you know, there's a number of kind of new groups that have seen something in marijuana policy as you know worthy of pursuing. States that may be very competitive, uh, kind of at the Republican-Democratic gubernatorial race or presidential race, we're seeing that uh, marijuana initiatives are increasingly passing. You know, by by 70 percent margins. Um, and so, in that way, I think that that it's symbolic that uh, that more broadly. Uh, You know, a lot of this communication is working. um, And when they can get in front of uh, a voting public, they tend to win
1: yeah so so what's what's going on here with that that disconnect or 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 I guess is there still a a disconnect between state officials, uh, people people in in state legislatures, and the people that they're supposed to represent? You guys said at the at the very beginning that you know this wasn't something that legislators wanted to touch. Is that still the case or are they? coming around at all? And, and do you see, see any evidence that, you know, things, things might be changing uh, as far as whatever the, the incentives for people in, in office might be as far as, as considering this issue?
4: So I think public officials are coming around slowly. Uh, clearly, uh, Democrats and, and more liberal public officials um, have pretty much large, you know, largely already come around on this. It wasn't until um, just in 2016, though, that public. So if you look at public opinion, Gallup has been asking about marijuana legalization for a long time, all the way back into the 70s. There's been a clear and fairly rapid shift from it was about 12 percent of the population supported marijuana legalization in the 70s to now it's just about just under 70 percent. Um, and that's the overall population. If you break that out into Republicans and Democrats, Democrats, it's something like the high 80s. But it wasn't until 2016 that you had a majority, a slim majority of Republican respondents to, to the Gallup survey uh, indicated they supported marijuana legalization. But it's been, it's been uh, difficult in states like Pennsylvania who do not have the ballot initiative to get traction on, or I should say more conservative states like Pennsylvania, to get traction on on an issue that actually has um, a lot of public support. Oklahoma is a really good example of this. Oklahoma is, you know, we think of it as a pretty solid red conservative state, but Oklahoma passed medical marijuana in 2018, and it passed it handily, I think it was 57% support, and there is, it looks like um, recreational is on its way to being on the ballot um, in the next year or two. And um, there's a lot of support for that in Oklahoma as well. Um, But the legislature, members of the legislature worked, um, and, and the Republican Party leadership in particular in the legislature, have worked to undermine that ballot initiative when it was and it was being proposed one of the things that they did was uh, push it to the primary instead of the general election because they thought that the primary voters would be less favorable to it and it still passed with 57 percent support so i think that illustrates how legislators are still fairly slow to come around to supporting you know being on board with this issue
1: so are the states Watching each other. Uh, you know, I know that in in Pennsylvania, for example, one of the the arguments here has been that, you know, since it passed, since, since recreational passed in New Jersey, everybody in Philadelphia and the eastern part of the state is going to be driving over there and, and Pennsylvania is going to be losing out on on potential revenue. Um, so as where do those concerns come in? And, and maybe has that dynamic changed at all, given that that many states are now facing budget crises as a, as a result of COVID-19?
3: You definitely do see that as more states pass, it does provide both both kind of more models that are out there, you know, model legislation. I know that as I watch legislative proceedings across the country, you will see that, you know, certain states will lift up other states as kind of a model um, as, you know, the, the the model that they would like to have in their state. And and often it is, um, you know, you can kind of see some politics at play there. So a state like Ohio, for example, is one where the reason we have uh, medical marijuana, I, I really think, is is because of the ballot initiative, and, and in our case, it was a threat of an initiative. It was uh, John Kasich and the Republicans in 2016, looking ahead to the to the 2016 election, seeing that marijuana policy project was gathering signatures for a, a big medical marijuana bill, and wanting to cut that off, um, both for kind of the the possible. Ways that a, a marijuana bill can can shape the electorate, um, but also for their their own desire to kind of control it. But John Kasich, who you know as a you know he ran for president, he's a bit of a of a show horse, I would say, as a legislator. Uh, he kind of signed that at, in a very subdued uh, you know signing session. Like he really didn't take a victory lap with this policy. Um, and I think that you've seen that that same. Type of tenor across our legislature, and it's really shaped this implementation. That's been a bit, a bit slow and a bit frustrating, certainly for for patients that that I've talked to. But states are definitely you know learning and gathering information from one another. And I'll, I'll also note that that I know that you know in many of these cases, if the legislature takes it up, they are holding some uh, committee meetings where they're often bringing in um Representatives from other states to share about their experience um, and to uh, talk about you know the, the positives and the negatives.
4: And let me uh, let me jump in since part of the question was about New Jersey. I'd be remiss not to note that you know in in and uh, I think it was October of 2019, the governors of Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut actually had a marijuana legalization summit uh, and the purpose of that summit was to, lay a groundwork for collaborating on legalizing marijuana for adult recreational use. You know, there was interest in each of the States and among each of the governors for this. And and they're recognizing the spillover effects of, of, uh, any one of them legalizing marijuana. And so, and so now, you know, New Jersey is the first domino to fall, but, um, I mentioned Lieutenant Governor Fetterman in Pennsylvania. He's a very active, uh, Twitter user. And uh, throughout the fall campaign, he, he tweeted frequently about New Jersey, um, and it really was this spillover argument of how, you know, what is it, 40% of populate, Pennsylvania's population is now within a half hour drive of a state that will have legal adult use marijuana. Um, and he's he's making that argument that now that Jersey has adopted it, there's a lot more pressure here in Pennsylvania, or at least there's there's missed opportunity for the state. He focuses a lot on revenue but also social justice. Um, but we know New York is gonna take it up and Cuomo's likely gonna push it next year. Um, and so that that also increases the pressure in PA.
1: Yeah, so to to zoom out here and think about this at the, Federal level, I've I've seen you know kind of in the the pundit world some hot takes about which if any of the two national parties would take this up in their platform, it would just be a golden ticket. Like they could just ride it to whatever you know whatever they want at the at the federal level. I guess what do you what do you guys make of, of that argument, and and um, how likely do you think it is that we might see any movement on this issue, either medical or recreational at the the national level?
3: Well, I think in short, Dan and I's sentiment is that we feel like it's, it's probable that something is going to change, but not inevitable just yet. Um, And that is from everything from even, you know, former President Obama, essentially saying that He didn't go so far on on marijuana policy because he liked this idea of the states being laboratories of democracy to the fact that it still has at times become a wedge issue. And um, we saw this during the the one of the stimulus rounds during the the pandemic, where uh, as the, the Democrats in the House were trying to move through some. Um, some legislation that would protect dispensaries and and you know, provide some easing on banking and some other other types of issues facing the the industry, uh, the Republicans kind of made hay out of that, and you know kind of had a a bit of a um, you know kind of a pithy uh, you know rejoinder about what the the Democrats were were doing, you know, caring more about about pot than people, you know, something along those lines, and so it's still. Does have a bit of a culture war flashpoint issue, um, but one thing that that we've been thinking about and noting is that as more states move into the fold and they do run into all kinds of implementation issues that are that the the main problem is related to federal law. As we have 35 states, you know, with with medical programs, uh, that means we have. 70 U.S. senators that are representing states that that have uh, medical marijuana. And so we do wonder if if there will be kind of more pressure um, on these these senators um, to 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 move um, and and really make some federal policy that that could solve some of these these issues.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, if you look at what I immediately thought of as the the Democrats, um, when they were putting together the platform, There was a push. There was there were multiple progressive policy pushes on the platform that didn't pan out, you know, not including Medicare for all, things like that. Um, But one of them was marijuana legalization. And, you know, Joe Biden has kind of come so far as as decriminalization. But there's a lot of open questions as to what his administration will do. You know, there's a push to have them unilaterally reschedule, and which which DEA or D- and Health and Human Services has the power to do. But uh, you know, I'm guessing that that he's going to be fairly cautious on it too. And uh, so we've seen before in marijuana that that the winds can shift. What what we think now is that I mean, this is so. This is such a large industry. And again, as Lee mentioned, you know, 35 states, 70 senators, the marijuana is much more um, there. There's a much more developed structure now for the for the industry and for regulating it, that it doesn't seem likely that the winds would shift in that way that you would see it go away. But there are still certainly these cultural headwinds there um, for, for getting any sort of large federal change.
1: So, you know, we... We talked earlier about social justice and, you know, we we know certainly that disproportionately people of of color are are likely to wind up at various points in the the criminal justice system because of of drug charges and, you know, these these types of things. And I'm wondering if either of you can can speak to anything we know about outcomes of of states that have have legalized marijuana, you know, have there been changes as, as far as things like, like incarceration rates and, you know, those, those types of, of social justice issues.
3: One of the consequences of the federal government not moving. And so Dan mentioned a few uh, policies that would really, really help, including uh, related to banking, um, access to loans, access to capital um, to, to actually start these businesses. And, and that's one area where As the federal government drags their feet, the marijuana industry is going to have some of the the same inequalities built into it as as other industries do, whether that's, you know, going back to housing and redlining or um, or, you know, the fact that uh, that marijuana, as you mentioned, um, you know, uh, enforcement has disproportionately impacted Communities of color, um, and that often restricts you from getting access or getting in on the on the business side of marijuana. Um, but then also, it's such a a system that's based on lots of cash, and um, you know we also know that just when it comes to access to cash and um, you know the average wealth, uh, that too is is um, is is impacted by race. And so, the fact that uh, that people going into this industry may not have the same Protections uh, that they do in other industries, you know, to file for bankruptcy, to get, um, you know, a good loan, to establish credit—all of these other things. Um, what we, what we may see is that that it's such a high risk to get into the industry that the industry uh, will remain disproportionately white. And whenever the federal government kind of opens up and, and changes some of these policies, it may be too little too late uh, because, you know, we know that often it's, it's the first, you know, companies in, in the market that, that kind of swallow up the the competitors. And so um, I think that that is one, one area of social justice that's being talked about is just kind of on the business model end. And um, Dan, you can probably speak more to to what Pennsylvania has tried to do in New Jersey and other States. With medical,
4: the focus of the programs was on a special population. It was on patients um, and them getting access to to something that's framed as a medicine. Right. But when you legalize for the whole adult population, that necessarily brings up questions about well, what do you do about the war on drugs and the injustices of the war on drugs? And and um, and how do you give communities of color access to access to the industry an industry that. You know they were disproportionately punished for in the past, so it's become a major. It actually social justice issues, and how to how to how to work out those issues hung up legalization in both New York and New Jersey last year, um, and that was part of the reason why New Jersey pushed it to a constitutional amendment so that um, the legislature could have citizens vote on it to get it passed. And then now, right now, as we're speaking, New Jersey is struggling through. How to actually implement their new recreational program, and a major question is social justice. How is the money going to be spent? How do you how do you make sure that communities of color have access to this new industry? Um, so it has been a major issue with, um, especially with the legalization of adult recreational use. In terms of the arrests, you know that's a con- uh, my my favorite my favorite point on marijuana comes from actually a legal scholar, John Adler, who wrote a book about federalism and marijuana policy. And, and basically his argument is that nobody has seen what they thought they would with marijuana. So the proponents have not seen the level of revenues in particular that were promised uh, in most of these states. And in terms of the opponents, they haven't seen the, you know, rises in addiction and, and, emergency room visits and, and youth use and all these sorts of things that that have been touted as the you know the arguments against legalization. And you know, criminal justice reform has been, I think, one of those where things haven't quite worked out the way we think in our minds. You know, people are still arrested for if they're selling marijuana in a state that has a that has recreational marijuana. If they're not a dispensary owner and not selling it legally, you can still be arrested for that. That's still going to disproportionately impact communities of color. And um, we're starting to better understand how policy design shapes that. Like uh, a clear one is if if the price of marijuana is too high, then there's still a lot of room for a black market. Um, So how states tax and how they regulate also You know, those design components matter for for these outcomes. So the outcome is a lot, is is fairly complex. And I think we're still, there's still a lot of research to be done on on the impact of these laws on people.
1: The two of you wrote back in, I believe it was 2017, that you kind of questioning whether we had reached... A tipping point? Uh, is it safe t- to say that we have reached that, that tipping point now? And, and, and Lee, just as, as you were saying there, I mean, do you, do you expect that the, the recreational trajectory is, is going to to continue and, and maybe get to the, the level of, of where medical is, is currently?
3: Yes. So we, we wrote that um, right after Oklahoma passed their medical bill, because that that just really stuck out that, that the very conservative state would vote on that in an, in a May primary election. Um, and so that did kind of, uh, there were a lot of articles out there saying like, whoa, Oklahoma, you know, <laughs> and, and kind of what does that mean for kind of the future of this? I think that we're at a, I don't know how to put it. I would say I think that that there's still some risk aversion, and and you know from the Biden administration and others to not tackle this at the level that maybe the activists would want it to be tackled. So so I don't know if we're at this like tipping point where where the federal government's going to kind of knock down all of the hurdles that they've they've kind of put up over the years, but I do think we're probably at the point of no return because you know if you go back to the the 70s where Dan was talking about decriminalization. Well, that's just kind of changing your enforcement strategies, right? Like that's just kind of redirecting street-level bureaucrats, your your police, uh, you know, to 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 enforce or not enforce marijuana law. But now we're dealing with a multi-billion-dollar industry. Um, we're dealing with real infrastructure. We're dealing with. Um, with patients that, if they were suddenly cut off from access to whatever is is alleviating their their pain or their symptoms, um, would be in in real harm's way. And so, I think for all of those reasons, I think we're at the point of no return. But I'm not quite sure what the tipping point will be or what that will look like.
4: Yeah, just real quick, you know, there one other there, there are institutional dynamics here too. I mean, you know, like we said, the initiative has been so such an important force, um, as has, uh, you know, um, legislative referendum, uh, like what, what New Jersey just had. And that's continuing to be the case for legalization. But as we think about like a tipping point and legalization spreading quickly and broadly, Pennsylvania is a good example. There There is no option. There's no citizen option here. The legislature must pass recreational marijuana. And that that's gonna be a big lift. Like um, that's gonna require again probably a bipartisan support. Um, even if the Democrats would would somehow take control of the general assembly, they're probably not going to have a majority large enough to push something like that through on their own. Um, and so, so there are some breaking point, or you know, as we think of, there are some breaks there, institutional breaks that that eventually get put on as you burn through more of these initiative states, right, as there's fewer and fewer of them. And that was one of the context of that article that we wrote. You know, at that time for medical, there were only four direct initiative states left that didn't have it. Now I think there's only two. Um, so that means that all the other, particularly the southern states that don't have medical, are either going to have to have the legislature put a referendum out there or that the legislature is going to have to pass it themselves. Uh, and so that certainly slows, slows things down. So I think we're still in this place of, like Lee said, that, that we're probably past the point of no return. But it also doesn't seem as inevitable as as the discussion often assumes.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's, uh, I think that's, that's a great way to think about it. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the legislative appetite is in these these states moving forward. But guys, you know we've we've hit a lot of things on the Democracy Works bingo card. This episode, we hit federalism, ballot measures, institutions, laboratories of democracy, all kinds of things. Uh, it's been really great uh, talking with you about all of those things through the lens of marijuana policy. So thank you both for joining us.
3: Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Well, that was a terrific interview. It was nice to hear from Dan and Lee and learn learn a lot about uh, marijuana policy. Uh, it seems to me, Candace, uh, they raised a couple issues uh, that we might want to talk about a little bit more in terms of uh, federalism and uh, yeah, and yeah, and in terms of direct democracy.
2: Yeah. So maybe we can do the last one first. I sure. think, you know, just going back to something that we mentioned and also Dan and Lee mentioned, about how, you know, public opinion is all for it. And when it's on the ballot, when it gets there by often citizen initiative, it passes um swimmingly. And so, you know, this gap between what legislators are willing to do and what the public wants them to do is perhaps a problem. Um yep. it's really for, glaring for mm-hmm. for democracy.
0: Yeah. And and it's not like just because the uh it's not just be, because something is passed through direct democracy, that the legislature doesn't have a role. Because, in mm-hmm. fact, they really do. I mean, once these things are passed, they still need to be enacted and implemented. They require action by the legislature in most cases, unless the ballot initiative is extremely detailed. And here's where the intent of the voters can really be distorted. In
2: the case of marijuana, that people might want it, but then the state has to implement the policy and they still have to shape it. And in some cases, um, even on the ballot, it's kind of like uh, this ambiguous language that essentially is like, so do you guys want to think about doing this or, you know, or not? And then like, okay, so you guys want to think about it? And then there's the issue of, are we going to decriminalize it? Are we going to legalize it? Are we going to allow for sale? Right. All of these things are going to require the legislator to get involved in infrastructure, policy, like really specific nitty gritty matters.
0: Exactly. I mean, here's also where some of the more interesting inequity issues raise come up about whether or not the legislature is going to require uh, that a certain number of licenses, for example, go to minority communities. I mean, there's all kinds of things that the legislature can do. It makes me think sometimes about where we where we are now with abortion policy because you
3: mm-hmm. know abortion is legal mm-hmm. uh, but
0: you wouldn't know it in many states in the south in particular because the legislatures have set it up in such a way that it might be a legal right mm-hmm. but there's but there're no providers
2: Yeah. Right. So that it's legal, but it's not accessible. I think that that we may see something like this in a number of states as well concerning marijuana policy, Um, because, you know, for example, there are some places where you have your your record has to be squeaky clean in order for you to even work, no less, like get into the business as an owner. Yep. Um, and so I think that there are people who are focusing on the questions of equity to say, mm-hmm. we need to focus on this on the front end, because if we just kind of ram it through to you know legalize it or decriminalize it without also considering the fact that there are 40,000 people who are in prison right. um, because of marijuana charges that the chances of the legislature going back to um you know produce some sort of remedy um you know uh, moving forward is nil and again if you deal with that on the back end instead of on the front end then you know people are going to have their businesses up and running and you know wealth accumulates wealth and it means that people are going to be squeezed out it is also sometimes the case that folks who are Um, really concerned about questions of equity are doing some of the slowing down in some ways because they're requesting that the issues um, of equity get incorporated in on the early end of the policy change than the late end, given how difficult it is to sometimes make changes um, Mm -hmm. in policy across the states and in the federal government as well.
0: Yeah. Of course, the legislators do have an interest in moving this along once the public has supported it because they're eager for the revenues, even if the revenues are not always turning out to be quite what they thought they'd be. Uh, I think this is going to be even more of an issue uh, for the legislatures going forward. I mean, we're about to enter some pretty dark days, I think, for state budgets. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, with COVID, right? And I think that it'll be interesting to see if states just figure out, hey, we need another way, another revenue stream. Um, And the way that it's working out in some states is that that revenue will just go to other states.
3: But
0: there's one other federalism issue I do want to raise, and and that has to do with this notion of laboratories of democracy and Mm -hmm. that states are going to learn from one another. But I actually don't think they've really waited to learn very much about that at all, at least not that I've seen. Uh and and that's probably because public opinion is just racing ahead as are the as is the uh opportunity for, for revenues. But am I wrong about that? Has there been more learning that's gone on than I'm giving credit for?
2: Well, I mean I think that people were kind of looking to states that were early enactors to see about crime, about addiction, about DUIs, about, you know, child y- usage, about how to deal with it as far as banks go and mm-hmm. you know, I, so I do think that there are a lot of there are a lot of fears about drugs. I mean, so I grew up in the dare, you know, like <laughs>
0: Oh
2: yeah. yeah. Um they they're like don't do drugs. You know, I grew up in that era too. That's a long era and um <laughs> you know, and yeah. so people have a lot of preconceived ideas about about all sorts of, you know, substances. And so I think the public has also learned about, you know, the dangers and pitfalls and the perils and promises of the policy, too. Um, And I think that I think that matters a lot. Yeah. So I want to thank Dan Mallinson and Lee Hanna for a really excellent interview and Jenna as well. Always asking the really excellent questions I think this episode is really good because it touches on so many of our, you know, topics on our Democracy Works bingo card, and also connects to a number of topics that we've discussed in other in other episodes. Um, so, that, you know, that was great. i that was great.
0: <laughs> yeah, you'd almost think they studied here. It was uh, it was good to see it was good to see good to hear from them again, and uh, for Democracy Works, uh, I'm Michael Berkman.
2: And I'm Candace Swat-Smith. Thanks for listening.
1: Democracy Works is produced by the McCourtney Institute for Democracy at Penn State and WPSU, Central Pennsylvania's NPR station. Our editors are Mark Stitzer, Jen Bortz, and Chris Kugler. And additional support comes from WPSU's Andy Grant's. Emily Reddy, Chris Allen, and Craig Johnson. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please consider leaving us a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.